Hello, fellow foodies. Welcome back. This week on the show, I have a very special guest that has written a beautiful book about the cuisine of one of my favorite countries, and that would be Italy. I'm speaking with Anna Maggio. She is the author of Under the Olive Tree, which is um, not just a cookbook, but also gets into the the, the, the lifestyle and the ways that we celebrate um, our foods. So thank you so much for coming on the show, Anna. It's great to meet you. It's lovely to, for you to invite me. Thank you. Great. Thank you. So you were born in Puglia um, in southern Italy. And I think, can you tell us how, how your heritage influenced your cooking style? How did you, how did you come to, to, um, to really practice some of these recipes? Well, my great inspiration was my mother. My mother was a fantastic cook. In fact, she actually uh, cooked for big weddings. In, in, in um, you know, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, uh, weddings in Southern Italy were celebrated for two days and she was there cooking. And at the end of the day, she brought back little morsels of food for us, for my brother and us and me. And, you know, I was always surrounded by these wonderful dishes that she cooked. So that was a great inspiration that has lasted all my life. And the fact that I moved away from Puglia, because I was born in Puglia, but I moved away first to Milan and then to London, it meant that gradually my desire to return to those flavors, those scents, those colors of food, has always been in my heart. You know, the memory of, of all of those dishes has been so strong that now, uh, you know, I can, I had the time to put down my, my, all my thoughts about what it is to eat good food and to preserve the traditions of, of all those dishes. That's wonderful. Well, Puglia is a really a special place as well. And I, and I believe I read that you also own a Trullo. Is that how you pronounce it? Trullo, which is my great joy. They are only in Puglia. They were only built in Puglia. And uh, so nowhere else in the South you can find them. And of course, um, there are some, in, uh, some similar things elsewhere in the world. Uh, they're like hobbit houses. <laughs> I think the origin of uh, the, Puglia, the Trulli was uh, dictated by poverty. Uh, they were, to begin with, they were built by the, the um, people that worked the land for the big landowners, you know, the agricoltori, the farm, you know, the, the, the people that just worked the land and they didn't have any money to buy their own houses. So when they found these enormous boulders, there's a lot of, lot of big stones, they thought maybe we can make houses with this. And so they, they sort of did this circular uh, laying down of these stones and then they got to the end and at the top, they used to have a keystone which prevented them from being uh, asked to pay tax because it wasn't the dwelling. So, you know, when the taxman came, they would take the thing off and <laughs> the thing would collapse. And then for another year, and then, you know, they were, they were extraordinary. This is, the, this is the story. I think that probably did happen in some cases, probably not at all. And these truly were cool in the summer mm -hmm. and, uh, and warm in the winter. 
and they started with one cone or two, and then as the family increased, they added another, another cone and another cone. And now, of course, they've become very kind of shishi, you know, people with money go and buy them. I bought one which was completely derelict, and I spent a bit of money to, to uh, make it up again at, as it was originally, but I haven't changed anything. That's great. And so these are kind of dome-shaped housing structures. Yeah. How yes. many rooms are, how large are they? How many rooms are held in one of these structures typically? Well, as I said, it depends on how many children they had. Uh -huh. Mine, for instance, has only three rooms. And uh, so there are two for two bedrooms and one for the kitchen and living. And they're tiny and it, they are just so beautiful. When you look at it, you feel like you're in an enchanted forest <laughs> with these things. It's a bit like the hobbits. You, know, <laughs> you sort of think it, that you can't possibly live in one of those, but you can. That's Very great. Well. <laughs> That's great. And so beyond the truly, can you paint a picture for us of what does the Italian landscape look like? Are these in the middle of olive groves or grape, you know, grape orchards? Like, what do we find around this landscape? Well, uh, Puglia and especially the area around Ostuni, which is the Salento area, uh, towards the south southern part of Puglia, because of course Puglia is eight hundred kilometers of coastline. Mm. Eight. It's one of the longest uh, regions of Italy, and I am sort of towards the southern bit, and all the um, there are various bits of Puglia. That the uh, middle one, the middle part where I live, it's just olive trees. There, are, some of them are supposed to have witnessed the Crusaders. You know, uh, you know, millennia. They are enormous, they're beautiful. They just look at you and your eyes are in all of these incredible trees. And uh, I have 150 ancient olive trees on my land. And so the Trulli were always in the middle, in the middle of uh, mm -hmm. um, olives, almonds, and, um, and a lot of um, uh, fruit, you know, mm -hmm. um, apricots, etc. but the, the, the crops, the main crops, are almonds and olives. It is. Mm -hmm. And uh, wherever you look, there is a, a sort of vast, immense vision of olive trees. There, I think there are about 50 million olive trees in Puglia. Wow. That's why we are one of the biggest producers of olive oil. And the olive oil from there is fantastic. I make my own olive oil. So I, had it, I have it shipped to London, where I live. That's wonderful. Wow. And yes. so in traditional Pugliese cuisine, you have olives, you have fresh fruit, and because of all this coastline, do fish also play a prominent role in the diet? Exactly, exactly. So that is basically our diet, is in the summer, we have all the produce of this incredible terra rossa, the red earth of Puglia. It's so fertile. So you plant all the courgettes, the melanzane, um, Eggplants, mm -hmm. Eggplants uh, the peppers, and they grow in profusion. And you just cook those. You don't cook them in the winter, mm -hmm. you know. And in the winter, you have all the other stuff, which like is the cime di rape, which has the uh, broccoli and uh, the artichokes, and you know, and artichokes go also towards the spring. But 
we are very seasonal, and that is what I tried to explain in the book. If only we could eat the things in season, we would also save ecology being a disaster because we wouldn't have, you know, strawberries at Christmas or, or, or you know, things that don't grow in the winter, uh, in the summer. You don't have them. You don't, we don't actually eat any out-of-season fruit or vegetables because we have got a fertile land, of course. That's amazing. Well, and and beyond beyond your cultivated crops, I notice you also have some recipes for one of my favorite bitter greens from southern Italy, and that's chicoria, um, which others know as chicory. Now, in the United States, we know that chicory roots are used um, in kind of the New Orleans-style coffee, but in the Mediterranean, we eat the greens. Can you tell us a bit about chicory? Yeah. And I have... I have uh, listed here a list of edible weeds. We call them herbe spontanee. They are, you know, they are spontaneous herbs. And I've got a list of 17 that we eat, oh, 17. Wow. I mean, it goes from asparagus, asparagus that grow, when I go to the Trullo in March, I have all these wild asparagus. Wow. And they are delicious. And you just scramble them with some eggs in the morning and, and they're just amazing. And then you have the chicoria, which my mother used to give to give us, uh, me, when I was pregnant. And my mother-in-law, who is English, used to say, she can't do that because, you know, that might be bad for... And you've been fed by it. In fact, the chicoria, with the bitterness, all the bitter uh, herbe spontanea are very good for you. They really have got, you probably know more than I, because uh, you know about the intrinsic qualities of these things. They're all very good. The, the bitter, the better. Um, I like that. The bitter, the better. That's great. <laughs> yeah, I think the body has got to be nourished with good stuff. And in fact, uh, I was reading somewhere that um, uh, very often, you know, we, we, the, the children were sent out after storms to collect all the snails because we eat everything and they're gross. If they always they always say in Puglia, you pick something and say, can one eat this? Even if you don't know, you just you just immediately. But that is dictated by hunger. It was a very hungry bit of land, you know, because Italy has always been the poor south and the rich north. Mm-hmm. The rich north, Milan, Tuscany, uh, up to Rome, they're all very full fully fed and, and beautifully fed. The South had to fend for itself because there was no industry. So anything that grows spontaneously, like snails, um, so they, they, they we just always picked all these snails, but then to counteract the possibility of it not being so digestible, you eat them with the bitter chicorielle. So they sort of counteracted mm. the possibility of you being a little bit that I'm well. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I've um, so I mentioned earlier my my husband's from Basilicata, which which is nearby Puglia, and I've spent many lovely summers um, with my father-in-law 
collecting wild oregano in the fields and then also looking for snails and bringing them back and we kind of let them in a bucket for a bit and then prepare them and they're just fabulous really fabulous wild food i mean the the french eat them and it's a very you know sophisticated way the french do them les escargots but but for us it's just something that when it rains you know that they all come out in the heat in the heat and i mean all this list i've got you know asparago pungente cicoria selvatica and what about the the king of uh, of all these things which is the lampachone you probably don't know about lampachone don't know about lampachone oh. oh wait are they are they the bitter onions yes they are, yes actually they are hyacinth bulbs mm-hmm. they are tassel hyacinths and they are the kings of uh, you know spontaneous uh, weeds or herbs um and they are a delicacy and you know you find them and again how did they find out that you can eat them they probably they would dig in the ground and they saw these little flowers and thought oh wonder if we can eat these and <laughs> you know and and then and then they are just uh, sold everywhere in the markets and i think it's just in puglia i don't know whether in basilicata they eat the lampachoni it's a real pugliese thing which are it is in my book i don't know if you've noticed it but it is in my book and um the herbe spontanee and cicciarelle and this is this is the lampachoni ah beautiful beautiful so i i do know that among the arboresh people of basilicata they eat the lampachoni they call them something else but ah. it's it's very bitter and um they have to cook it for a long time in a clay pot is this how they also do it in puglia uh no we we not for a long time we boil them for oh. boil them or roast them you can do both uh-huh oh okay so taken away all the the outer leaves or covering it's a bit like dirty potatoes mm. or dirty mm-hmm. um artichoke bulbs you know the, wow. the you know but then then you boil them and then you take all those leaves and and you're left with very shiny surface Mm-hmm. and you can then just preserve them with vinegar you not not sorry not preserve serve them with a little bit of oil vinegar and salt or some people my cousin uh, they do them they press them and they do them with with eggs like an omelet yeah wow but everyone that tries them they love them actually not everyone some people <laughs> Actually, some people find them too bitter, but yeah. I love them, and so does all my family. That's great. Yeah. Well, I've I've often said that you know the Mediterranean diet. It's it's we know that it's 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 associated with longer health span and living healthy longer. Um, and there's so much talk about the role of red wine and olive oil and fish, but really, I think also these wild vegetables. play a huge role in the mediterranean diet and they're very underappreciated. Yes. Well, they're probably not known because if you are not from that part of mm-hmm. the world, you don't know that those that, that the mediterranean diet that, that that fruit vegetable and those things that you find mm-hmm. free, they are so good for you. And you can see it on the complexion of people. I mean, the, the skin is fantastic and uh, the people don't have all the diseases that the northern 
also because they don't eat much meat. I mean, it is basically fruit, vegetables, pasta, pulses, all things. Pulses in winter and, and, and vegetables and fruit in the summer. Uh, so, you know, it, it's so kind of um, good to the body and, and I think also good to the mind. I don't think, I don't know, maybe I have got nostalgia about how it was, but actually I go to Puglia every year and the, the traditional eating is still the same. You know, I was asking my farmer, the one, Franco, who looks after my olive trees, and I asked him the other day, what do you eat? Do you still eat, you know, on Mondays, Brodo, on Tuesdays? Yes, they still, every day of the week, they eat. And meat is only on Sunday or perhaps wow. on Thursday, you know. Mm -hmm. So they're still doing that, which keeps them healthy. Yeah. Um, and, and I suppose it's because of lack of money, but also it's a habit to eat in that way. And yeah. You know, and I'm very much into Epicurus at the moment, and he says the ple pleasure is the key to a good life, <laughs> but eating simply is one of the good pleasures. So that's what he says. So we should learn from we should learn from the Greeks and the Romans. I think. That's great. That's great. <laughs> well, one of one of the other dishes that we um, associate, obviously, with Italian cuisine, is that of pasta. And um, one of the dishes that you also feature is uh, one called orecchiette con cimiri rape. And orecchiette means little ears. And this is a homemade pasta, right? Can you tell us, how does one start making pasta? It seems like such a complicated thing, um, but well, actually it's probably quite simple once you get the hang of it. And there are, there are two varieties of pasta. There is the, for tagliatelle and lasagne, you need egg pasta. So the, the, the flour is mixed with, let's say, if you have 300 grams of flour, you have three eggs. So it's one egg to 100 grams of flour. That's it, basically, and then a bit of salt. And you mix it all together, and then you have to have one of the machines, or you have to be very good at making it very thin. That is the egg pasta. But the, for the orecchiette, you don't need eggs. You just basically mix the flour and the water and you make a dough, mm -hmm. a bit of olive oil and salt. And then, and then you, make, uh, you make little sausages, kind of tiny sausages. You know, you roll it, but you make little sausages. And you cut the little sausages in little sort of squares. And then with your finger, with your finger, you, you have to press in each one of them and then turn it around your thumb. It's a very difficult thing to do. But you see these ladies uh, in the street with their little table, and they do it like, like knitting, you know? They do it one after the other. <laughs> Yet I, unfortunately, I'm not that fast, but my mother was. <laughs> and, and, and that's what they do, the orecchiette. But it's not just the orecchiette that they do like that. They do all sorts of other shapes. Yeah, that's great. Orecchiette con cime di rape is the signature tune of Puglia, um, and especially the region of the Salento, you know, but Puglia everywhere, because the cime di rape, again, they're slightly bitter. Uh, you, you call them in English turnip tops, but I don't know whether they're turnip tops. I mean, I suppose, yeah. And um, 
and then basically you boil them together and then you you throw them in a pan with with uh, garlic olive oil and um, um, anchovies and a bit of chili and it's the most fantastic dish that's why everybody loves it <laughs> you know it's really great because the anchovy gives it that extra salt is always gives. Mm -hmm. You know, there is a thing about salt. I know salt is, there is a salt police around in, in, in the world now, isn't it? They say that salt is bad. But I've got my urge to salt because if you don't put enough salt in your food, it will taste of nothing, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm very strong in my opinion. That's great. That's great. No, but it's, it's, the, it's the key part of those flavors. Well, Anna, what are some of your other favorite recipes that kind of just call to you as a sign of home in your book? Oh, well, I mean, um, there are so many. The Parmigiano di Melanzane, uh, it's one that I love doing. I love doing that because the aubergine are such a fantastic vegetable. And if you make it in slices with mozzarella, Parmigiano, tomato sauce, and you just put it in the oven, the aroma that comes out, you cannot stop yourself from eating it. <laughs> um, and also, my children adore polpette, but polpette are sort of meatballs, mm -hmm. and these are made with um, veal or beef. And that's one of the five meat dishes I've got in my book. I've got only five meat dishes, mm -hmm. the rest are all vegetables. Um, and the polpette, again, are something that is um, mixed, minced meat is mixed with nutmeg, egg, mm. egg, cheese, garlic, parsley, and they're made into little balls and then fried. And, and then you make a, a ragu, a tomato sauce, so you cover them either in sauce or without. And they're fan fantastic to eat. Mm. And my grandchildren adore them. They eat 20 of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, of course, there are all the dishes with fish, because fish is so important. So, you know, we have it uh, on the on the charcoal, we have fish in the oven, we have the fantastic soup, fish soup. And the Mediterranean fish uh, has got such a variety, and that you can, you know, when you go and see all these stalls and all these incredible um, fish that, look beautiful as well and you you put them all together in a pan with um with olive oil again garlic and tomatoes and and they just you have a fantastic soup and that uh, my mother always used to make it on a friday Great. yes we still we still have the tradition of having fish on fridays that's great yeah. Yeah. Well, one thing that really comes across in this is that I don't hear you mentioning the use of many packaged foods, fresh vegetables, fresh fish, olive oil, yeah. seasoning. Yeah. You looked in my cupboard. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, except one tin, I will, I will have two, in fact. One is candelini beans and the other one is borlotti beans. Because when I make minestrone, you know, I don't have borlotti um, you know, they, you have them either dry or, in, you know, you don't, you can't have them fresh, except in summer, of course. But uh, that, that's all. And then tomato. Tomato, I do buy tomatoes in, in uh, tins. 
except for the summer, of course, you can use again. But, you know, in London, I don't know about you, but uh, the fresh tomatoes, when you make a sugo, a sauce, a tomato sauce, they um, are too full of water. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if you buy tomatoes in October, November, December, uh, they, you can't make a good tomato sauce. You have to have the tomatoes that come from Italy, the tin tomatoes that gives you the real taste. That real nice flavor. That's yeah. great. Yeah. That's great. And basil. Always basil if you can. I know in winter it doesn't grow, but I can. I, I love basil with <sighs> the sauce. Yeah, I have I have basil in my garden. It's 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 definitely yeah. one of my favorite one of my favorite um, yeah. culinary herbs. Yeah. Well, on on this topic of food and dishes, I think one other thing that's really interesting about the Mediterranean diet and especially the South Italian diet is the the way that it's consumed with company. Can you talk a bit about the, the ritual of eating in a family? Yeah. Well, this is um, incredibly important to me, but unfortunately I can witness all around me, it, do it doesn't happen anymore, especially here. Here in, well, again, I talk about where I live, which is London. Mm -hmm. And I do insist with my family. When we sit at tavola, it's a real ritual, the children, the parents, the grandparents, they all sit and nobody starts eating until the, the, the older part, person in the family starts eating. And then and then it, everybody says what they're doing, what they're thinking. You know, there is conversation, there is eating, there is conviviality. It's one of the best things against depression. I think, yeah, you know, yeah. uh, you, you, you just talk, you just... Uh, if you have a problem, you discuss it with the family. And it's something that it doesn't happen. People are too much on their laptop, on their computers, and uh, eating becomes um, something that really saddens me because we're going backwards. We're, we're going really backwards mm -hmm. in our being. We don't cherish food. Maybe we do when we go to restaurants, but it should start at home. It should start at every time you put food at the table, which is being cooked with love, it should be eaten in the same spirit. That's great. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I think it's it's one of the most important things, I think, in, in our own family rituals is sitting down together and, and eating and talking about our days, even though we're all living together and not really emerging much during the <laughs> pandemic. Each person has their own lived experience, even in a small space. So it's nice to share those experiences. And and so yes, I mean, now look, during lockdown, I can hear that people have started to behave and cook like one used to mm -hmm. time. I suppose time, but then one should make time because ingesting food is one of the most important and I think intimate things you can do to your body. So you should be selective and you should be careful. <laughs> That's great. That's really great. Wow. <laughs> Well, Anna, this has been so much fun learning about your book. Can you um, tell us we can find this at, at all major booksellers? It's called Under the bit. Olive Tree. Under the Olive Tree. The olive tree and it's oh, yes. flavors of Puglia. And uh, yes, you can find it. Can I just mention one thing that mm -hmm. I would have not written this book had I not uh, been in touch with my best friend, Emma, Emma Hobbins, who has done all the illustrations. Beautiful. And 
And the, the moment when she agreed to do the illustrations from her book is the moment when I put pen to paper because I didn't want any photographs. Mm -hmm. I wanted to re retain the lines and the colors of, of what I had in my mind. And like, for instance, you know, this is, is a fantastic drawing of fennel, you know, mm -hmm. and it's just, I think that she is brilliant. And so I think, that's why I wrote the book, to unite her brilliance with my memories. That's lovely. And such a fantastic note to end on. <laughs> Thank you so much, Anna. I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your genuine love for food and family and, and the art of, of living um, with healthy foods. <laughs> Thank you for asking me. Thank you very much. It's Great. been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. Great. You've been listening to Foodie Pharmacology, the science podcast for the food curious. We have this and many other episodes on our website at foodiepharmacology.com. You can also catch the video for this episode at our YouTube channel at Teach Ethnobotany in the Foodie Pharmacology playlist. Thanks so much for listening. Stay healthy out there, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>